So the passage there, the verses that that video was showing was verses 1 through 15, I believe. Um, So we're going to be actually looking at the teaching that comes about after the feeding of the 5,000. But it's helpful for us to remember and be reminded of what that story was about. So a couple of questions just in response to that video after watching the video. Why does Jesus leave the place in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000? Why does Jesus leave the place where the crowd is at? Why does he leave in the end of that, that story? <clears throat> Anybody catch it in the end of the video? He wanted to be by himself. He wanted to uh, probably think on all these people were coming to see him. Yeah. Yeah, so he wanted to be alone. He wanted to be away from the people. That's good. Um, anything else? Anything else jump out to you why he he left? I've actually got it up here now. If you have your if you have your own Bibles open, I don't have this on this text on the handout, but it comes from verse fifteen. Pastor Kevin, did you catch it? I think I, I thought I heard you. I was. Um, he needed he needed uh, rest. Mm-hmm. From the ministry. That yeah. Was... So yeah. So that language of withdrawing. Right. So this text. So verse fifteen, um, right at the end of that that video, it says, "When Jesus realized." So let's just back up to verse fourteen real quick. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, "This indeed is this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world." When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he specifically, according to John, he specifically withdraws after this miracle because the crowd was coming to take him by force and to make him king. Um, Why does Jesus flee in a moment where it seems as though he finally has a big following? He's actually convinced people that he's the rightful king. Why does Jesus flee in this moment? Anything else? Anything else about the situation that might keep might cause Jesus to flee, even though he I mean he has a crowd of five thousand people <laughs> who are captivated by him. Anything else about it? Thank you. Because they didn't understand him. They didn't understand his his reason for being there. They just looked at the miracle and thought. Oh, he's king. He must be king. Yeah. He must be the Messiah. Yeah. Rather than understanding his mission. They wanted him to be king and not uh, our savior. Okay. Yeah. So they specifically had something in mind for Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their right. version of king would be different than what he needed yeah. to do to save the world. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, we can kind of maybe catch some of the language there. Um, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Um, I think if we know anything about Jesus, we know that his kingship, his messiahship, um, doesn't look like any sort of kingship that we have ever seen. 
in the world. And any other Messiah that came, any other person that came along and claimed to be the Messiah, they always came um, in force and in power. That was their goal, is to come and overthrow in, in a violent sort of revolution. Whereas Jesus' ministry is very obvious that that's not the type of king that he was going to be. Um, that wasn't the way um, that he, he was called to, that God was calling him to. So I think that's an important note here to, to know that that sets up for what's going to happen here in the text that we're about to read. That sets up our text in John's gospel. Now we're going to jump over a little bit um, in between all of this is when Jesus walks on the water, John's version of Jesus walking on the water. That's how Jesus gets away is by getting in a boat, or the disciples get in a boat, and Jesus doesn't get with them but ends up walking on the water to where they are, right? So we're going to jump over that um, <clears throat> because what happens next is then... And we're going to jump, kind of jump through verses 22 through 23. Eventually, the crowd kind of does this sort of detective work. They notice that the disciples got in the boats, but Jesus didn't get in the boats. And so they were confused about where Jesus was. What ends up happening is they go to the other side of the sea, which it's often called a sea in Scripture. It's actually a little lake. It's not a full-blown sea. So that helps to understand that it's not like they walked across or around a lake or a sea, right? It was just a, a lake. The sea, the, the sea of Galilee is really just a lake. And so they... Huh? It's a big lake. Yeah, yeah. It's not a sea. And so they go around to the other side and they see the boats um, that the disciples had gotten into, but they were still confused because Jesus hadn't gotten into a boat with his disciples. And so eventually they find Jesus, Okay. And that's verse 24. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum to look for Jesus. Okay, so we're going to be picking up from there. Um, after Jesus had left with his disciples, they searched for him and they finally found him. Their intent to forcibly take him as the king seems to have subsided. All right, so the last time we saw the crowd and Jesus together, they were trying to take Jesus by force and make him king. And, by, and when they finally do find him on the other side of the lake, um, they, that kind of uh, fervor seems to have subsided. Their, zealot, their zealotry, right? Their zealousness for Jesus seems to have calmed down a little bit because they don't come and find him and grab him, like try to grab him again. That's basically what we end up happening here. So I'm going to start at verse 25, and I'm going to read to verse 34. We do have a lot of text to cover tonight, so we'll try to get all the way through it. When the crowd found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? <clears throat> Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures, for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom, whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give to us then, so that we may see you see it and believe in you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true <clears throat> bread from heaven. For the bread, of God, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. All right, let's stop there. 
What do the people want from Jesus in this text? What do they want from him? Food. More food, right? As a reminder, this is the same crowd that Jesus has performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Mm-hmm. What else? What else do they want from them? There's, there's actually like several things. They're like every time they speak up in this text, they're kind of asking for something or demanding something um, from Jesus. What are some <laughs> of the other things that they seem to want? They wanted a sign. A sign? Okay. So they ask for a sign. It's kind of interesting, right? They've just received a sign that made them so excited about Jesus that they were going to take him by force, and here they are demanding another sign, right? They want to be able to perform the works of God. Mm, The works of God. What must we do to do the works of God? Good. Let's see, I think there might be one more. We might have covered it. Well, after he mentioned it to them about the bread of life, they want that bread of life. Yes, so at the end, they specifically asked for that. What do you think they wanted at the very beginning there, verse 25? They wanted Jesus. They didn't know when he came there. Yeah. So I wonder if there's, I, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I just wonder what, what, what deeper meaning is there behind this crowd who, again, was going to take Jesus by force and make him king. And when they do finally find him, they don't really know what to ask him except, when did you come here? <laughs> you know, when did you come here? Um, and that's interesting. Sounds like they were rather befuddled because he did so much. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. They didn't know where to where to begin. That's good. Um, so let's go back to the sign that they demand from Jesus. Why do the people want another sign? What sort of sign do you think that they might have been looking for? Something like where, where Jesus fed the multitude of people, but they, the fish and the <coughs> loaf of bread and stuff. Yeah. And they said that and they wanted to know more about it. And, yeah. You know, explain more. Okay. But they didn't know how to ask for it. Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on what, what kind of sign they might be looking for? They might be looking for a sign that because they still haven't forgotten that. They're still probably thinking, they're, because he disappeared and they couldn't figure out what happened, they're like, this may want it even more, I would say. Yeah. So they're wanting to be able to have him as their king, but they now realize it needs to be his idea, not theirs. Gotcha. So yeah. they're, they're, wanting, yeah. they're wanting him, they're still wanting that. It's just they, they are... Yeah. They wise, they, yeah, yeah. They wised up. Yeah, that's that's a good thought. I, one of the things, and I think I like that you're pointing it back to that thought, right? So the last time we the last time we see them, 
they, them interacting with Jesus, they're trying to take Jesus and make him king, right? And now they're first interacting with him, and, and Jesus says, you know, that leads to them, Jesus says, uh, he said, what God wants you from you is for you to, to believe in him whom he has sent. That is the work of God that Jesus says that God wants from you. And so they, that's when they demand or they ask for another sign. Well, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe in you and believe you? So I think in that context of what, what they're thinking. Now, if you are a part of a crowd of people, a group of people, and there, and you know, especially a crowd of people like the Jews who are under Roman occupation, and and they're not really free. They're kind of, um, they they're not their own people anymore. They even though they understand themselves to be God's chosen people, they've kind of been put into um, a new way of existing, which really is, it seems to be going against what God has for you. And so you have this great hope for someone coming into the world to rescue them from this. And that's what they see Jesus as. Surely this is the prophet that is coming into the world. That is a that is a uh, a, a, an, a quote like a an aspect of the Messiah, right? An expectation of the Messiah. Surely the Messiah. This is the Messiah, and and they go to grab him and make him king, and he leaves. Would you be kind of confused by that? <laughs> someone that you're claiming, the someone that has first of all made it very clear that they see themselves as coming from God, now you are agreeing to that and you're saying, yes, you are from God. We want to make you king right now. And that person leaves. <laughs> Seems like that might be a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. And now Jesus is saying this stuff about God and what God expects of the people. And so they, they probably are like, okay, well, you gave us a sign. We responded to the sign, but you rejected it, <laughs> right? Jesus rejects their response to the sign. Now we need another sign. And I think exactly what you said there, Pastor Kevin, of, of they needed a sign now that, okay, you don't really seem to be want, to want to be the king as we expect you to want to be the king. So what does that mean? We need another sign. And so just thinking about it in the context um, can be helpful as well. What do they mention um, <clears throat> there in verse 31 after they ask for a sign? Verse 31, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, so they say, what sign are you going to sign, give us? For example, the, the, our ancestors got manna in the wilderness. Does anybody know what happens after the Israelites are in the wilderness and they, are, they have taken the manna? Remember, the manna lasts up until, you know, they, it lasts as long as they're in the wilderness from the point that they start eating it until they're in the promised land. What happens after the manna? What book of the Bible's next? See, Matt, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What's next? What's the sixth book of the Bible? So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Y'all know the y'all know the text of Joshua. What happens in Joshua? What does Joshua do? The the person Joshua. Hmm? The Battle of Jericho. Yeah, that's probably one of the more famous ones that we think of. But the whole book of Joshua is the people going out of the wilderness where they've received manna from heaven, right? 
Let's think about the parallels in our story here. They've come out of the wilderness where they've had manna from heaven, an unlimited number of bread, you know, or as much bread as they, they needed to survive. Um, and then they go into the promised land. And what do they do? They take the promised land by force, right? They go in and they run people out. And, and that's the story of Joshua, right? That is the book of Joshua, is them entering into the promised land. Now, um, Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus' name is Joshua. That, that name is the same name, right? Jesus and Joshua. Um, that it's, it's a different uh, um, transliteration of that name. We say Jesus, Joshua is that name. I imagine these people probably expected Jesus to look a lot more like Joshua, right? Going back into Jerusalem and taking Jerusalem back from the Roman oppressors, right? So what sort of sign would they might be looking for if it's a sign that follows the manna? Might look a lot like Joshua, what Joshua does, the way that Joshua leads. But Jesus's kingship is not like Joshua's kingship, Joshua's lordship, judgeship, right? His leading the people. It looks a lot different. Joshua led the people and took over the land by force. Jesus is rejecting that. And so the people are probably expecting something along those lines, something along the lines of the the first Joshua that we have in our text. Um, So the people seem to believe in Jesus after this miraculous feeding. But then in verse 29, he tells them that they must believe in the one whom God has sent. What do you think Jesus is wanting when he says that belief in him is needed? What do you think he's wanting? I mean, this is stuff we say all the time, right? Do you believe in Jesus? Like, what do we mean when we say that? What are we talking about? Have faith. Having faith? It seems he's wanting them to have faith that he is the one sent from God. Yeah. Maybe that he maybe that he is the one sent from God despite the fact that he doesn't look the way they were expecting. Yeah. Of course we can get into a lot of that that statement can can be taken in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um because the Israel the Israelites have a history of rejecting the prophets that God sends them, yeah, and yeah. embracing the false prophets. It's true that God has not sent them, right? So it's 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 almost like that's all wrapped up in one statement here. Yeah, I'm the one God sent. Believe in me. Yeah, and I can just see it, it kind of looking back and saying. But you have history of not. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good that's a good point. Um, yeah, a call to to trust even even when it seems like um, it, it's it's not what we expected, right? I really think that that's what's at the at the root of this is that that the call to believe and have faith, um, which I think I've mentioned this before, but in the Greek that that language of faith and belief that's the same. Same word, they're deeply tied together in the, in the original text. Um, sometimes it's translated as belief, sometimes it's translated as faith. 
Uh, but that word is deeply tied together to have faith, even, even when it seems like it's not what you expect. Um, and that's, a, that's an important message for us, right? Um, to have faith even when it doesn't, even when it's not quite what we expect or have thought, you know, about God to begin with. Well, let's um, go ahead. I say God, God speaks and, and God delivers in different ways than we expect all the time. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about this. They're want, they are expecting a Messiah to come and, and conquer Rome, basically, to right. get rid of these Romans. Yeah. And what God's plan is Jesus. Yeah. Which is very different. So that's where that's where He's asking them to take this leap of faith yeah. and get rid of this 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 whole idea yeah. that we're going to go take Jerusalem back and defeat this yeah. this invader. So it's it, there's a lot tied in. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're getting at the at the base of the gospel, right? That that Christ comes in a surprising way in order to deliver us in a surprising way when. The people, when they hear deliverance, when they hear liberation, when they hear freedom, that language, they are tying it directly to um, uh, to their connection with Rome, right? I mean, think about their story, their history. Um, they were in um, slavery in, in Egypt. And so what did liberation look like then? It looked like actually literally physically being set free from that um, and being taken into the kingdom, Right. Um, and then when, when Assyria and Babylon come in and they capture them, they are, when they think about liberation, they're thinking about being set free from these bigger bully empires that come along. And so these are the people. This, this is their story, right? And so these are the people that Jesus is talking to. Jesus is a part of this story. And Jesus comes in a surprising and different way to rescue the people. Not, um, not a rescue from Rome, which will last only until another Rome comes along, <laughs> only until the next empire comes along, but rather a transformation of the heart that leads to the people, to us um, who accept Jesus, to living in such a way that regardless, despite um, the circumstances in the world, we are trusting and having faith that living the way of Jesus is truly the way to liberation, truly the way to freedom, no matter what our circumstance is. Um, there's so much that we could get into that. Um, I do want to try and get some of these verses done. I'm, we might have to come back to this text next week because there's so much good stuff in it, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to read verses 34 through 40. Um, picking up right where we stopped. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that, that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Um, so this part, I, don't, I have a few questions to ask about it, but I just want to kind of run through it real quick, some of what Jesus is saying here. Um, 
Think about the way that Jesus is outlining for the people, not just what he's saying right here, but the way that he has lived. So the way that he has rejected their notion of kingship, the way that he has gone to the Samaritans, right? We talked about a few weeks ago and, and proclaimed the gospel to them. And the way that he has gone to, to those that, that seem to be on the outside and on the margins. And like, this is the way. This is the way that Jesus is outlining. Um, and then even just the, the deeper meaning behind feeding people in the wilderness, right? Feeding people that are hungry, and, and, and one of the things that's different about this feeding of the 5,000 verses back in the Old Testament when Israel is fed is that Israel's given specific regiments, right? You, eat, you get this much to eat, and if you take more than that, it's going to go bad, right? All those rules we talked about several months ago, that, that text, the, there were specific rules outlined. Well, it's a little bit different when Jesus comes along. What does it say? It says that they, get, they ate as much as they wanted, <laughs> Not as much as they needed, not as much to satisfy their, their hunger right then, but as much as they wanted. And this goes back to one of the things that we've talked about in, in John's gospel is that it is an abundance. There is an abundance of what you need or what you want and desire. And there is a deeper meaning behind that more than just food, more than just physical food to eat, but, but um, abundant life, right? Eternal life is the language that Jesus used. We've talked a little bit about how that, that meaning of eternal, we've sometimes understood it as like something that starts after we die. Like once we die, then eternal life starts. But what Jesus says in this text, you will have eternal life. is always in the present tense, not in the future tense, not you will like one day have it, but you will have it presently. You will have eternal life. And so that's something that starts in this life and, and brings us into the next life, but it's, a, it's, more, than just, it's more than just an amount of time. It's a, it's a quality. It's a quality of life. It's abundant life um, is the way that it could be described. Sorry, do you have a comment? I just can say that word for eternal mm -hmm. uh, uh, can also be translated as perpetual. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which perpetual is past, present, and future. Mm. It's continuous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that word we could <clears throat> talk for a long time about that. The word there, it's a big word. Um, so Jesus is claiming. How, how do you think that Jesus's claim? I'm jumping over some questions here. How is Jesus's claim of being living water to the Samaritan woman? You remember that's what she said, right? That's what he said to her: "Is I I am living water." Um, how is that different, and how is that similar? to this statement that I am the bread of life. Is there anything different or similar about it? Well, it's obvious the difference, you know. One's liquid, the other's solid. Sure. You know, bread, water. Yeah. You think there's a deeper meaning behind them being different? Satisfaction. Okay. I think the deep, I think the deeper meaning there is he was speaking to what the hearer needed or felt. Oh, that's good. It was individualized. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, yeah, and both lead to a satisfaction of what's needed in that moment in that time. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's a good sustenance. Yeah, yeah, sustenance that's needed in that time. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great connection there. That's a great point. Um, 
I actually didn't have a, have a particular answer myself on that question. Most of these questions, I have my own answers. But um, we're going we're gonna to jump um, through. We talked about eternal life. Eternal life that Jesus talks about begins in the present when someone believes and continues into the future beyond death. In other words, that when, when we truly accept Christ, when we truly believe, have faith in Christ, and not just that, that Jesus existed, right? Like, it's not about, like, I believe that Jesus existed in, in the past, right? Like, that, that's an aspect of it. We believe that historically Jesus came and walked on the earth. That's central to this. But that's, you know, when, sometimes when we, if we're talking to someone on the street and we say, do you believe in Jesus? That might be what's kind of back behind that meaning is, do you believe that Jesus happened, that Jesus existed? But more than that, as believers, when we say that, we're saying, do you believe that Jesus presently exists? And do you believe in the way of Jesus, right? Do you believe that the way that Jesus laid out for us in his life, death and resurrection is true? is life. Do you believe that that is the way, the truth, and the life, right? In John's tech, John's gospel, that's what he goes on to say later on. And so when we say that, when we say believe in Jesus, we're saying, do you believe in the way of Jesus? Um, and that, that is a deeper, that's a deeper meaning. I can say I believe in Jesus, but, but if I'm not living the way that Jesus laid out for us, if I'm not walking in the way of Jesus, if I'm not following behind Jesus, then do I truly believe in Jesus? Maybe I believe that he existed, <laughs> but there's a deeper desire there. And, and, and we talked about this a few weeks ago of, of not just a head knowledge, not just I be, I've read the, the Bible and so I believe that Jesus existed, but a heart knowledge, a, a, a knowing Jesus as a, as a, as a friend, as a, as a brother, right, um, as, as the one who gives us access to the Father. That's a deeper knowledge, a faith knowledge, right, a heart knowledge um, that's relational, more than just a head knowledge, right? And so I just want to be clear about that. that that's, what, that's what the call to believe in Jesus is. Not just do you believe that he existed, but do you believe in his way, in the way that he lives? All right, let's read verses 41 through 58. And last note about that is that's the, that's the key that's the access to the eternal life that Jesus talks about, is are we believing in the way of Jesus? Are we living in the way of Jesus? All right, verses 41 through 58, and we're going to get through this tonight. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that came down, comes down from heaven so that one, one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man 
and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. <clears throat> so how? So I think one thing that can be helpful to clarify is John does this thing sometimes that's kind of confusing where he says the Jews. And sometimes if you pay attention to the context, the Jews can be the, the crowd of the Jews. Um, and other, other times the context will tell you that it's not just like all of the Jews. It's more likely the, the leaders of the Jewish people, like so the Jewish leadership. Um, and, and sometimes John will refer to both in that way. Um, and so I think what's clear in the context here, remember, being remembered that there's a big crowd of people that follow Jesus. They wanted to know about Jesus. And they're asking questions of Jesus and they're hearing from Jesus. Um, and, and generally, they're probably expecting um, something of Christ. Now, among those crowd, it seems like there are some of the Jewish opposition, which has already kind of been introduced a little bit in John's gospel. Um, we've seen them from time to time. But uh, John refers to this, just them as simply the Jews. Um, but really what, what, what we need to understand in the context is that uh, these Jews that he mentions here um, are probably the Jewish leadership, the Jewish leadership that um, already would dispute any kind of claim that Jesus would say. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, right? Um, and then earlier, we know this man, he's, uh, he's Joseph's son, right? Um, we've known this man. We know this man's mother and father. How can he say, I have come down from heaven? We know where he comes from. He didn't come from heaven, right? Um, so uh, we're told that they, uh, in some texts, will translate it grumble. I think this one uh, translates it complain. Um, but when have we heard, can you recall another group of people who grumbled against God? Yeah, I mean, they just grumbled because they didn't have a king. Yeah, they grumbled because they didn't have a king. Yeah, that's a good connection there. So that language of grumbles used um, in a lot of different places, but even in the moment that manna begins to come from heaven, right? Is they were grumbling because they were hungry. <laughs> the water comes from the rock eventually, and they were grumbling because the water that they were drinking was no good from the Mara Valley. Um. I think that's, a, that's just another clue, right? Another connection point that we need to make in the story, in the grand story, right? Um, <clears throat> what does Jesus say that causes a debate? All right, so there's the, obviously the part that causes, um, causes grumbling, but then there seems to be something that he says that causes the people that are listening to debate. Eat his flesh. He drinks his Yeah. Cannibalism. Cannibalism. 
Yeah, so the Jews then disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Um, they disputed among themselves, um, and that could also be translated as debate or quarrel. So after this dispute that they have, um, we're told that Je- or Jesus ends up doubling down on this. I mean, Jesus has just kind of like made this as a comment, that, you know, I will give the life of the world, the, the bread that I will give the life of the world is my flesh, right? So it's just kind of, it's a comment saying that, you know, that the flesh, that flesh is blood, right? Or that flesh is the bread, right? But after they like get upset about this, think about Jesus's language after that. He gets graphic with it, right? Before that, he just kind of makes the comment. But after they grumble, they get, he gets pretty graphic with it. He is very direct. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, we know, right? And, and Jesus has done this in John's gospel, right? Where he talks, where he says something and he doesn't mean it like physically. He means it more spiritually and he has a spiritual meaning. Um, and, and we can read this text and understand that's what Jesus means. But he doesn't say that <laughs> at any point. At any point does he make it clear that it's, it's a spiritual eating and drinking of Jesus. It's a consuming the way of Christ, like we talked about earlier, it's a bringing that into yourself. That at no point does Jesus say that, and, and I'm just kind of wanting to ask, like, why doesn't Jesus say, "Well, you guys, you know that I don't mean literally, right?" Why didn't Jesus say that? <laughs> I think he wanted that discussion. Mm. Yeah, you want? What do you say more about that? He wanted them to talk about it. He wanted them to ask about it. He wanted them to talk amongst themselves and mm. see if they were going to get the connection. To understand it, yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts why Jesus wouldn't explain that he mean what he means? Yeah. He doesn't actually explain a lot. Um, he doesn't always explain. You know what what he's saying in John's gospel. John and John John records Jesus as really speaking mysteriously. Um, that that is unique to John's gospel. If you look at if you look at the other gospel accounts, Jesus talks in parables, right? He uses parables, but his language isn't so like kind of like mysterious in those gospels. Not quite as much. John records Jesus as having these really kind of mysterious ways of talking. Um, the I am statements, right? And this is actually. This is the first time Jesus says, I am something, right? He's used that phrase, I am, at the, at the, with the woman at the well. We talked about that several weeks ago. But this is the first time he says, I am, and then gives like a, um, a, a sorry, I'm forgetting the language of it. But basically, he, he's saying, I am something, right? I am the bread of life. We'll hear him say, I am the good shepherd and stuff like that. Um, so I, here's my theory on this, and I have an answer for this one. Why doesn't Jesus explain that he doesn't literally mean physically eat my flesh and physically drink my blood? I think, I wonder if part of it is, is that um, as offensive as that is, that thought, that idea of literally and physically eating someone, as, as cannibalism, right? As offensive as that is, because it is offensive, and, and, and there's people that are offended by it. Um, 
I wonder if the call to be a disciple, to truly follow Jesus, to truly follow the way of Jesus, is, can be just as offensive. Um, can be. Because Jesus knew he was going to die on the cross. Ah, yeah. And that was yeah. leading up to it. Yeah, right. And, um, and what is, it, I, I kind of have this theory that this, this, um, this is John's, John's version of what happens in, in the other gospel accounts um, where Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. The call to discipleship is to follow after Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He picks up his cross and he goes to the cross, right? He goes to the hill and he dies for it. And, and that is, a, um, that is uh, what Paul calls a scandalous thought, that the, the Messiah, the one that they were expecting to be a king to come and conquer, right? The one that they were going to take by force and make into a king is saying, no, actually what it looks like is, is humility and humbleness to the point that you guys are going to not only reject me and walk away from me, but you're going to reject me to the point of killing me, right? Um, and so perhaps part of the reason that Jesus doesn't go on to explain that, you know, this offensive teaching is that Jesus knows the call to follow him as the Messiah is equally as offensive. It's a call to denial of self. It's a call to living in the world in such a way that um, um, the world might reject us, right? We live in a different time. We're not, none of us are likely going to be crucified, not literally, right? But the call to bear our cross remains. That, cro- that, that call is still the same. It might not look like us physically carrying a cross, but it is a call to be committed to the way of Jesus, faithfulness to the way of Jesus. It's as John the Revelator in the book of Revelation says, faithfulness unto death, right? If, if death is required of your faithfulness, then you are faithful despite the fact that death is coming your way. Um, and so that's the call of being a disciple, being faithful to the way of Jesus that we've been talking about, right? The way of, of, of resisting the temptation to go into Jerusalem and take over by force just to become one more empire and a cycle of empires in the world. But instead, to live and exist as a community, as a people that, that, that live um, set free from the need for power, set free from the need of, of, of any particular political um, power that we might desire as humans. I think that's profound. Um, and I think that that's part of it, the base of why Jesus doesn't get into it more. I mean, we're told... Um, and we're not going to read this. I, I, well, I'll go ahead and read a little bit of it. Verse sixty. Um, what? What? The way this? The way this story kind of ends. It, verse sixty says, "When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? <laughs> this is a difficult teaching, Jesus. Who can accept this?'" And after Jesus talks a little bit with the disciples, not just the twelve disciples, right? There's a whole group of disciples. We're told there in verse. Um, 65, um, sorry, in verse 66, because of this, because Jesus doubles down, because he doesn't go on to say, well, I don't mean literally, you know, blah, 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 this is what I actually mean, because he doubles down on it, because he explains further that there, the commitment to be disciples is, is, is a commitment to even to death, even to death. Because of that, many of his disciples turn back 
and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so there's this group of people that, that they just can't take it. They cannot take what Jesus is saying. It's too scandalous. Um, it's too much. And so they leave. Um, now, what John, the book of like the author and what the church over the years has assumed that's being referred to in all of this, consuming the body and blood of Christ, right? This is the language that we use anytime we take communion. That we are taking in the body and blood of Christ that somehow in a mysterious way when we consume that bread and we consume that drink that that, that is the body and blood of Christ um, in us. We are consuming it. And what does it mean to consume something? Of course, it's about eating, but more than that, it's something becomes a part of us. So the title this morning or this evening is You Are What You Eat, right? You are what you eat. And so this is why it's so important for us as, as the church to, um, not, not because of anything magical or anything, um, but because um, um, in a mysterious way, when we as a community, when we as a church gather around that table to take the body and blood of Christ, those things that represent the body and blood of Christ, the reason that practice is so important and the church has seen it as so important for so long is that we are consuming that and we are circling around that table, gathering as a people and being reminded um, what my theology professor at Treveca would say that what is it, you know, what does it say on the table? Remember, do this in remembrance of me. We're not just remembering in our mind, but we're being remembered. Okay, break that word down. Re. Membered. We are all members of the body and blood of Christ in the world, right? That's what we're told. When we talk about the body and blood of Christ in, the, in Scripture, we're either talking about physically Jesus, we're talking about the body and blood that is the Eucharist, or we're talking about the body of Christ, us. And so we are, not just you are what you eat, but we are what we eat. And so that's why the, the practice of communion has been seen as so important because when we, when we gather around that table, we take in the body and blood of Christ together on a regular practice, we are regularly being reminded and remembered together as the body and blood of Christ in the world. We're being reminded that we are not um, a part of the way of the world. We are not a part of doing things the way that they, they really wanted Jesus to, to rule. That's not our way. Our way is set free from that way, actually. Our way is, is a way that, that looks totally different than the way of the world. And so when we gather around that table, we're bringing in the blood, body and blood of Christ. It's becoming a part of us. And we are becoming together remembered into body, to, to Christ's body and blood. Um, there's a few comments, a few questions on the Let Me Tell It section. If you'll look at those, um, they're great questions to reflect on. Um, what do you think about the statement, you are what you eat in relation to communion? And then I want you to think about this. In what ways have we grumbled or in what ways have you grumbled against God's way of doing things? Um, I think we need to be aware that sometimes God's way of doing things might be a little bit inconvenient. We might be a little bit, we might want to rush it a little bit. 
It takes a lot of patience to do the things, do things the way that God calls us to do things. So I want us to think about that. How, how are we, can we be tempted to grumble against God's way of doing things? And then how have you understood the practice of communion? Is it a part, is it an important part of your walk with Christ? Um, let's close in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the opportunity for us to gather here and to to read again from your story. Would you help us, O oh God, to be shaped, transformed, and, and changed because of this great story that you have given us? Help us, O oh Lord. Um, help us to be your body and blood. Help us to to act in the way that you would have us act. Help us to be to to be um, uh, followers of the way that you established for us. Help us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.